Okay, episode 93, Pushing Rocket Podcast, Adam Pickett. Coming to you from Holland, autumn, but it's warm. Isn't that lovely? Yeah. I'm going to be honest with you, I'm not in the mood to do a podcast. And and at this point you might just go, well, fuck you, then I'm not in the mood to listen. Turn it off. Eh. I don't know. Maybe that's what you do it. All the more power to you. All the more power to you. Not really in the mood. I was supposed to do a podcast with a great one on the weekend. I cancelled it. Not in the mood. Not in the mood. Um, yeah, not having a great time at the moment. It's been a really tough, really tough month um, for lots of reasons. Um, you have good times in your life. Things are going well. You have bad times in your life. And then you have shit times in your life. What's this one? Ooh, ah, it's getting towards the shitty side. Getting towards the shitty side. Not going to go into details. Not going to go into details. Can't be fucked pontificating about that. You guys don't want to hear my problems. I suppose you all deal with your own shit as well. I know you do, because everyone does. Um, So... How do I deal with shitty times? How do I deal with shitty times? Um, I put my head down. And I do my very best to not take it out on people around me. In fact, I do my very best to make sure, especially in places like work, that people don't even know. Because, hey, if we all took our problems to work and dumped on everyone, then... That'd be pretty much unbearable all the time. So everyone at work thinks everything is swimming. Apart from actually, one guy who asked me today, oh, how's it going with such and such? And I went, pretty fucking shit. And he was very surprised. I'm like, well, you know, that's what it is. That's what it is, that's what it is, that's what it is. So, yeah, I just get on with it. I just go on with it. And I'm making a I'm making a really conscious effort at the moment to slow down. Just to slow down. And what do I mean by that? Well, uh, I've always I'm always in a rush. Like the last couple of years, always in a rush. In the morning, I rush to get up, rush to get to work, rush to do all my work, then I rush to get home. And I don't know why. I don't know why. Why Why am I rushing around like this? I, I don't know what it's achieving. It's not achieving anything. I'm like, I'm like, maybe I get home with an extra, let's say, best outcome, an extra half hour up my sleeve. And, and, why, why am I rushing? I, I don't know. I don't know. So I, I'm, I've really stepped back from the rush. Really stepped back from the rush. I'm trying to be cruisy. I'm trying to cruise. Trying to be cool. When everything's going to shit, the only thing you can do is be cool. That's it. Kind of like the old Clint Eastwood movies. Think of movies like The Good and the Bad and the Ugly. I mean, that whole movie... That whole movie was a three-hour marathon of Clint Eastwood's character's life going to shit. It was just one shit fight... 
shit face, shit pile after another. You know? And his reaction every single time was completely stoic. Every single time. Stoicism, stoicism, stoicism. Just, just... He wouldn't even do a sigh. He'd just squint his eyes and maybe take out a cheap cigarello and chew on that and spit it out, say a line. You know, everything's just gone to shit. Everything he's worked for, he wouldn't get worked up on it. He's not throwing his hat on the ground. He's not getting excited. He's not running around with his hair on fire or anything like that. He just sucks it up. That whole movie... It's Clint Eastwood's character just sucking it up. Just sucking it up. And you know what? That's where that's what we're here on the earth for, lads. You can't do much worse. In fact, you can't do much better, I should say, than take Clint Eastwood in most of his movies as a way to actually get through your shit. Just do it like that. Suck it up. Yep. Yep. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. All right. It's the way it's going to be. Squint your eyes. Squint your eyes. So that's what I'm trying to do. I'm just doing my normal shit. Doing my normal shit. So, yeah, not really in the mood to sit down and pontificate. But, hey... Usually these are when the best ideas come out anyway. And I suppose it's nice to know that... It's always nice to know that someone else has gone through some shit. It makes you feel a bit better about yourself. You know? There was someone else at work today who I know was going through much worse shit than me. I won't say what's going on, but it's a family drama and it's pretty bad. Pretty bad. They've had someone disappear. That's pretty shit and it's been going on. It's going on for the better part of a few weeks now. And uh, I saw him today because he only comes in irregularly, not not very often because it's just a part-time gig for him with all his other stuff he's doing. And I asked him how it's going. And he shook his head and just said a few things. But it was just his demeanour, you know. It was just... When I asked him, you just saw... It's, he's a cool guy. He's a very cool guy. But you just saw that this is close to breaking him. And kind of my own problems pale in comparison. And they pale in comparison. Um, and I'm fit and healthy and smart and there's money in the bank. And, um, got a good job and doing what I love with writing the blog and that sort of thing. Uh, so, you know, things could be a lot worse. And hey, they'll probably get a lot worse. <laughs> I'll probably get along worse. It's always in flux, boys. It's always in flux. You know? Everything's in movement. Right now, where you are right now, right now is a moment. And that moment's going to change and it's not going to be the same. And you might think, oh, this is great. And I've had those times. I've had those times in my life. But I've actually had those times where I've actually thought to myself, doesn't get much better than this so maybe it won't i better enjoy this while i got it i've thought that in the past and you know what normally i've been pretty well spot on 
spot on the money. So enjoy it while you got it, because you'll only have it for a little while. And then, then the world will do stuff. A lot of it's out of, out of your control. It's crazy how random the world is. It's crazy how enthralled we are to, or how powerless we are to so much going on around us. We like to think we're in control. We like to think that we got it nailed down. None of us have got anything nailed down. We're just like ducks. You know, head above the water, nice and calm. Legs working frantically below to keep you afloat. Everyone's like that. Everyone you see. Every single person that you're jealous of, that you think has really got their shit together. The shit is not together. The shit's the opposite of together. You know. And they're just doing their best with what they've got. And that's that's all we can do, boys. Do the best with what you got. And hey, we've got so much shit being thrown, thrown at us these days. But, at least you're alive to get the shit thrown at you. I mean, if you were alive in just about any other period in our history, even in the same civilization and culture where you are now, to get past 20 would have been an achievement. If you didn't die at birth or in childhood, you would have been killed on a battlefield when they shipped you off and stuck a lance in your hand at the age of 15. You know, getting to 40 was a momentous achievement and you were the old, old guy. And imagine going to the dentist back then, if if you could. I mean, tell you what, my weak point is I'm a very, very fit man in very good physical condition, but my weak point is my teeth. Holy shit are my teeth my weak point. And if I had been alive in any other era before this, with me, Adam, the same body that I have now, Oh, my, I don't even know if I'd be alive. I think I would have probably died from uh, some sort of septic ulcer with my teeth or something like this. But uh, just imagine, like, you look at this old, like, 19th century dentist chair and the shit they had. The fucking horror. The fucking horror. I mean, really. Oh, God. So, we deal with a lot of shit, but we're also very lucky. So... What can you do, man? What can you do but plot on? What can you do but get up and, uh, okay, today I'm going to have to do this and get through this and, yeah, yeah. I sleep in a nice, comfortable, warm bed. That's nice. Maybe it won't always be like that. Maybe I'll be sleeping under a tree. I don't know. So I'll take the bed now while I got it. I don't know, man. I don't know. I've seen too much in my life. I've seen too much change. I've seen too much fortunes going up and down. I've seen too many people on top and and five years later they are below the bottom. I've, I've just seen too much of it. I don't, I'm not immune. You know, a lot of it's luck. Like I said, random. Random. We're ruled by randomness and we're fooled by randomness. We, we, we don't want to know how random this world is. It's really random. It's really, really random. And everyone always thinks that bad things only happen to other people. You know? Car accidents. How many car accidents are there every year? And people get fucking mashed to pieces. But we all think, that never happened to us. I'm a special snowflake. My mummy and daddy told me so. Oh, be fine. Yeah. I'm probably repeating myself. I've probably said this said this in some other podcast. You're probably sitting there going, Adam, you said this in that other podcast. And I'd be like, I can't even remember what's in my podcast. I can't even remember what I've said. 
Someone's actually uh, started listening to my podcast at work, discovered him. God damn it. And he's like, oh, that was a good podcast when you said this. And I'm like, I said what? I said, I said what? You know? That would be really, really fucked if I ever have to... Uh, if I ever have to go on some sort of interview and I'm on an interview and they're like, yeah, but you said in the uh, podcast number such and such and such and such, I'll be like, man, I got no idea what you're fucking saying. I got no idea what you're fucking talking about. It's like books. I've got the memory of a sieve when it comes to books. I really do. Like my book reviews, to do a book review, I have to read a book about three times. I really do. Yeah. Um, I'm reading uh, Tinker Taylor Soldier Spy, the novel... Uh, at the moment, by um, um, uh, oh, Jean Le Carré, um, and I probably it's probably the fourth or fifth time that I've read this novel. Really, I was just looking at my at my extensive book collection the other day, and there's some books in there I haven't even read, but I still grabbed out an old fave and started reading it. And man, when I read books. It's like it's like my head's like a sieve. It goes in. You know, I really enjoy the book in the moment, but. Uh, but, you know, a year later, if I pick up that book again, 90, 90% of it is a surprise. 90% of it is a surprise. But it's a, it's a great surprise. It's like, it's like visiting an old friend. It's like visiting an old friend. That's what it's like. I kind of know what's coming and I, I know how it's going to go. But the details, the enjoyable bits, the strolls along country lanes, which is what reading a book's really about... Yeah, it's all, it's all, it's all, it's all new, and it's an all, it's all a new feeling. And if you've got such a masterful writer like La Carre to uh, take you along, man, I think I've read every one of his books, and I think I could go down there and pick any one of his books out of my library, read it again, and it'd be all new to me. Ninety percent, it'd be all new. I suppose that's a bonus play. I mean, how's that for uh, value for money? You know, um, I like that. I like that. I like that. I do get to a point where I can't read a book again. There are books where I know if I pick it up, I'm not going to be able to read it. I might get 20 pages into it and then I go, no, I just know too much where it's going. But they're more the simpler books, you know, maybe your crime fictions or something like that, which is why complicated, sophisticated, but enjoyable stuff like John le Carre is really, really good. I picked up a book of the Templars, an historical book by a guy called Dan Jones when I went to Italy, The Rise and Fall of God's Holy Warriors. Um, I've, got, I've got probably about halfway through it, it looks, while I was traveling to Italy on the plane. Um, and it's interesting, but it's just, it's all right. It's written all right. It's just all right. Gee, writing, writing, writing well's hard. Writing well's hard. John Le Carre, what a master. What a master. I'll tell you what, if you haven't read his novels, the George Smiley novels, God, go out and read them. Really, really, they are great. Love them. Absolutely love them. Chew through those books. Do them in order. Do them in order in, in publication order because it does follow George Smiley. It's great. Really, really does. So, yeah, I went to Verona, went to my friend's wedding. Uh, it was kind of a weird wedding because it was a wedding non-wedding. So my friend's a lawyer and uh, he doesn't believe in God and he doesn't believe in the state, um, which is interesting. He's a lawyer. <laughs> um, but he's a, he's, he's a very unique man, I've got to say, a very unique man. And But he wanted to marry 
a girl that he's with. So he, they did their own ceremony. So we did it in a tattoo parlor. A very, a very, very, very... Uh, it's my first time in a tattoo parlor, but you could see that this guy was really the shit. And um, what they did was they, uh, they wrote out their vows. They'd written out their vows and then they exchanged their vows in the tattoo parlor. And they had a witness each, so I was I was my friend's witness, and and his bride to be, she had her witness there, uh, and so I'd flown from uh, Amsterdam for it, um, and I flew in early in the morning, and me and my mate spent kind of spent the day together, which was pretty heavy, because uh, well actually I flew in and uh, it was an early flight. Like I had to get up at four o'clock in the morning or something. It was pretty ridiculous. Oh, actually it was it was bloody drama central. As I get to Amsterdam Airport and you know I'm going through and I'm about to go through security. I walk all the way over to security and I see someone walking past me with a ticket and a passport. And at that point my guts dropped in the sense like I didn't fart or anything, but my stomach dropped. Because I realised that I didn't have my passport, and there was no way. I think it was six a.m. and last call was six forty-five, and it, it's at least thirty-five minute drive back to my house from the airport, and that's when the traffic's on your side. And this was Wednesday morning, so I'd get home, but I, there was no way. There was no way, and I just uh, I turned around from security and started to walk back the way I come. And thinking to myself, this is I'm fucked. There's no other flight I can get that's going to get me to Verona this day. Maybe I can get something close to Venice or maybe Munich or something like that. And then if I was in Munich, hire a car and drive. That would be like four-hour drive or something like that. Or, you know, I, I didn't know what I was going to do, but I knew I had to be in Verona by the evening. I, I couldn't let my mate down, but I didn't have my passport. So I'm walking back and I checked in online and printed out my uh, ticket online. So I hadn't even dealt with, and I didn't have any, I only had a hand luggage. I didn't have a bag. I'm not, I was only going for two nights. So I'm not going to check any luggage in. Anyway, I decided just to walk up to the desk of the airline that I was flying with. It was uh, Transavia, which is the budget airline of um, KLM. And there was a hot Dutch chicky there. And uh, I said to her, oh, I've got a real problem. Oh, I've got a real problem. And she's like, oh, what's the problem? And I said, oh, I forgot my passport. Yeah, I forgot my passport. And she's like, no. I'm like, yeah, I did. I forgot my passport. And she's like, oh, that's no good. Where are you flying to? And I went, oh, I'm flying to Verona this morning. No, oh, yeah, yeah. And she can tell I got an Australian accent. But then she's like, do you live Do you live in um, Holland? I went, yeah, yeah, I live in Holland, yeah. She goes, do you have a driver, Dutch driver's license? I'm like, yeah, yeah, I've got a Dutch driver's license. She goes, well, that's all you need. That's all you need. I'm like, really? Yeah, yeah, that's all you need. As long as you don't get arrested by the police in Italy, you'll be fine. And I'm thinking to myself, knowing my mate and the weddings, like he's the wedding he's going to have, the chances of me getting arrested aren't slim, but I'll go with it. So I went through security. No one looked at my ID. Uh, I did get my shaving cream confiscated. So my bag went through and it went through the whole air eh, off the side. And is this your bag? Yes, it is. Ra ra ra. Can you open it for me? Do you have any liquids in there? No. Are you sure? Yes. Well, we're getting a major liquid, over 100 mils. 
And I went, is that, are you talking about my shaving foam? It's foam, it's not a liquid. And the guy said, well, if, uh, if we put it in the microwave, it'll be a liquid. I said, if you put me in the microwave, I'll be a liquid. You know, if you put aluminium and heat it up, eventually it'll be a liquid too. You know, there are three states. I didn't do all this. I just said, I just went, yeah, take the fucking shaving foam, you cunt. Brussels tells us to do it, he says. Oh, don't we love Brussels, I say. Best sarcastic voice I can possibly do. Anyway, so I go through. No, At this point, no one's looked at ID from me. Uh, and then I get... Uh, I get to the, the gate and uh, plane gets called. I go through. You know, I've, I've paid it a little bit extra to get the front seat, so I'm sitting right at the front. No one checked my ID going through the gate. They just want the boarding pass. Okay, so I'm on the plane now. We're flying. I'm looking out the window. It was all, uh, it was all cloud, low cloud, all the way, Holland, all the way across Germany. And then we get to this side of the Alps. And it's like the cloud had kind of, it was up in a big ripple because it had hit the Alps and just kind of bounced. And then there was all fresh snow on the Austrian-German side of the Alps. And then there was, and then we got up on the Alps and there was no cloud at all. And it was really cool because it was the first time I've flown over the Alps and I've flown right over Val di Sole, the, uh, the valley that I know so well that I lived in for so long. And I was able to pick it out from the air. It was, was really cool, actually. Really, really cool. And we were quite quite low down at this point because we're making the descent into Verona because Verona is just at the foothills of the Alps there in the uh, Pianura in northern Italy. So we land, that we get, and the customs was shut. There was a guy there half asleep. I just went straight through, jumped in a taxi. So I flew from Amsterdam to Italy and got into Italy and no one looked at an ID at any point in time. So that was pretty amazing. So I get a taxi in, rah, 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 meet my mate. And my mates, uh, it's about 8.30 in the morning. And by the way, I'm dressed in a suit. I suited up for this. I'm like, my mate's getting married. Suit, tie, shoes, you name it. I was looking pretty, pretty darn sensational, if you really want to know. And uh, my mates, um, can you give me a hand to move my office? I'm like, what? And it turns out he's been in the same office for 10 years or 12 years, and he's, he's moved it. And I had to help him with about 30 boxes of very heavy lawyer-type files. Uh, and he was—he had his office and it was like three other lawyers in there. And there was actually one lawyer who was really cute and she was laughing at how well-dressed I was having to move stuff. And I'm like, what am I going to do? I couldn't stuff my suit in a backpack. I'm not going to do that. Um, so, yeah, uh, helped him move. And then uh, we had our first drink alcoholic drink at 9.30. We just got to... No, I didn't even do that. It was before we moved. We had our first drink. Nine o'clock. Nine o'clock. Campari. Campari and soda. Bang. And I was like, oh shit, this is going to be a big day. And yes, yes it was. Yes it was. Because it wasn't just alcohol that we hit. I'm not even going to say it. Oh my god. Um, anyway, so yeah, later that night, eight o'clock at night, it's been a long day at this point. I think I got up at around 3.30 actually. Um, we're in the tattoo parlor. They exchange their vows. Um, and, uh, and then they get tattoos on their ring finger. Instead of getting rings, they got a tattoo of an anchor each on their finger, which was kind of the symbolic thing for them, like, my ship's in your port, blah, blah, blah. The anchor holds us together, rah, rah, rah. 
and I've never seen anyone get tattooed for it. Like I said, it's a very, I mean, the tattoo uh, parlor is very, uh, the, the guys, you can tell he's really, really, really top quality. And there's like a six or nine month wait to even get in. Um, and he, uh, he basically canceled someone to be able to get my friend in. And so they got their tattoos and then uh, his bride's witness got a tattoo she got like three dots on her finger or something. I couldn't even work out why. And I'm and everyone's looking at me and I'm like, I'm not I'm not getting a tattoo. I'm sorry. I'm not getting a tattoo. I didn't get myself tattooed when I married a good wife. I'm I'm not gonna I'm not gonna get myself tattooed, sorry. And then it was off to the best seafood restaurant in Verona where I've eaten before. Uh where they specialise in raw uh fish. Not like sushi, but imagine like um like uh, a shrimp that's been prepared and it's raw and they do it in a certain way that's absolutely insane. They call it crudo. Uh, so cotto is cooked in Italian and crudo is raw. They specialize in crudo and holy crap, really, really cool. Anyway, the, the night was very late. I was there for the next day and and uh, we hit it pretty early again. Uh, oh no, we had to work. We hit it by about midday. We had lunch and then they just carried on in the evening. And then, then I flew back on Friday morning uh, they did check my ID uh, leaving Italy. I had to flash the ID to get through boarding. But I just showed them the driver's license and I was a little bit concerned, but it was fine. So happy days. Went through on the plane, rah, rah, rah. Flying back and we're flying back and then we flew across towards Rotterdam and then up the coast of Holland towards Amsterdam. And and it was this that I saw because uh, it wasn't, it was quite a clear day, quite a clear morning, actually. Uh, cold morning. Um, the windmill farms off the coast. And they are extensive. They look like a military graveyard from the air. They look like a military graveyard stuck in the sea, but more irregular than the, the uniformity of a military graveyard with the white crosses. That's what they look like. And it's amazing to me. It's incredible to me that we're supposed to be saving the environment by covering, covering the face of the earth with concrete steel windmills. Like, you get one oil and gas production platform that from the air you could barely see, and that would produce more power more reliable power than acres and acres and acres and acres of wind farms and yet it's supposed to be saving the planet it's the most ironic and tragic thing ever i mean the ocean was the last place we kind of hadn't hadn't covered with our footprint and now we're covering it in windmill farms i just find it absolutely obscene that this is and, and environmentalists push this they are really, I think, if you have to, if you had to make me pick between environmentalists or feminists as biggest scumbag hypocrites of the earth, I'd really be hard pressed to choose. I really would. I really would. I'd have to think about this really hard. Environmentalists, or if you said to me, Adam, you can get rid of permanently either environmentalists and they will never appear again, or feminists. I'd have to have a think. I'd have to have a good long think. Like you, you, 
You'd assume I'd go straight for the feminist immediately. But I'd actually have to have a think about this one. I'd, I'd have to weigh it up. I'd have to weigh it up. Um, and I think what it would come down to is, is which of the two streams are harder to defeat in the long term? Which of the two streams are harder to defeat? Um, and I, I don't know. I don't have a good answer for that. Is feminism ultimately easier to defeat, to defeat than environmentalism? Or is it the other way around? Is envir environmentalism easier to defeat? I'm just not sure. I'm just not sure. I'm, just, I'm not sure, you know, which... I'm, I'm pretty sure that feminism has done more lasting damage. Don't get me wrong. Like, if we have to pick between the Sierra Club, you know, and hardline femos, and the way our culture is broken down... Because they both kind of originated at the same time. They were both a product of the 60s. I mean, you can say feminism was in place back in the late 19th, early 20th century with women's suffrage and all that first stage, but so was environmentalism. Environmentalism was kind of... That's when the first national parks you know, were made. That was kind of sticking its head up there. And the thing is, I suppose, a little bit of environmentalism is good. Like, there are some benefits from environmentalism, but there are no benefits whatsoever from feminism. So I suppose then, on the face of it, uh, I'd have to get rid of the feminists. Um, of course, I'd only, I'd only really want to get rid of the feminists if it was with extreme prejudice, just for that extra satisfaction. I mean, look, I'm the kind of guy who wants to sit on his front porch and listen to the birds singing and a nice glass of whiskey in my hand and a cigar and a beautiful dusk on a lovely day with the corpses of my enemies swinging in the oak tree beside me. That's kind of, for me, that's the perfect picture, you know, and I can raise a glass to the corpses of my enemies and, and that, you know, there'd be a fair few femos up there. There'd be a fair few femos swinging and rotting uh, under the beautiful boughs of an oak tree. I'd be happy with that. Very, very, very happy. But environmentalists, well, I mean, who wouldn't want to see David Suzuki swinging from a tree? Who wouldn't want to see that? I mean, it just gives you little, 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 little rushes of pleasure. Ah, little rushes of pleasure. Yeah. So uh, I'd be hard picked. But those windmill farms, those windmill farms off the coast of, uh, off the coast of Holland, they, they really are. They really are. Awful, and it, it makes it so much more awful with how unnecessary they are because they're not profitable. They don't even produce enough energy over their lifetimes to justify them being built. The amount of energy that's taken to construct them, those concrete piles in the sea, the amount of energy that's taken to construct them. And you're putting steel in the sea that's just supposed to turn around. Well, that rusts. It rusts. I talk to the guys who work on these things, some of the stories they tell me about them, how quickly they're rusting. You know. And these places are already going broke and they're only in place because they're subsidized by the taxpayer, which then causes their energy. So your taxes are taken to subsidize these things which are completely unprofitable and do not even make 
their own energy costs back over their lifetime, and then as a result, your power prices go up because they're unreliable, which means your baseline energy grid has to be in place. Like they say, get rid of coal. You can't have 100% renewable energy. What happens when the sun isn't shining and the wind isn't blowing people? How are you going to... It's late at night. It's a really hot, still summer's night. How are you going to run your air conditioners? You have to have your baseline power. But if your baseline power is only used now and then, the cost of your baseline power is astronomical. So whenever it kicks in, your energy costs go through the fucking roof because your baseline power can't stay available unprofitably, especially because it gets no taxpayer subsidies in the fact of all face of all the taxpayer subsidies from wind and solar. Look, these things are just the most unprofitable energy-making machines in the world. We have literally gone back gone back to worshipping the sun and the wind to deliver us our power. It's like we've gone 4,000 years back in time and we're playing, praying to the weather gods so that floods don't take away our crops this year because we'll all starve miserably to death. Jesus fucking Christ. So, yeah, it was quite depressing to see that from uh, from up in the plain. Um, yeah. Yeah, yeah, there we go. Environmentalists or feminists, which is worse? Which is worse? Which would you take down? It'd have to be the femos. It'd have to be the femos with extreme prejudice, with extreme prejudice. Yeah, they'd go, they'd go. And that look, that would solve, like if, for instance, overnight that would solve Sweden's problems. If you could get rid of the feminists, overnight you'd be able to deal with the severe cultural enrichment um, parasite uh, infliction that they are currently suffering from. It's only the femos that stop it, okay? Literally in Sweden, literally in Sweden. I read a story about a girl in Sweden who who lives in, a a native Swedish girl, i.e. white, uh, who lives in an area that's basically become dominated by Muslims. And she walks down the streets and apparently Muslim women go up to her and are very concerned and say, please cover yourself up and please go back to your house. We don't want you to get hurt. And the thing is that if she kicks up a stink or reports it, it's the Swedish feminists who attack her. It's the Swedish feminists. So, you know, these honestly, honestly, feminists need to be put up against the wall. And I know they're women and everything. Um, but they need to be put up against the wall for the for for the good of the good of everyone concerned. They need to be, they need to be, uh, they need to be got rid of, and the ground salted where they lived and their cats lived. Speaking of cats, I probably read the funniest article I've ever read in the Weekend Australian last week. It's a story about a feminist who finally got herself her own cat, and the cat hates her. Uh, and the whole article is about how the cat hates her, and the other two lesbian feminists that she knows, and she's not a lesbian feminist, but she's kind of a feminist, but she's not a lesbian, she's not a, she's not a rug muncher. Uh, they're like, uh, you're doing it all wrong with the cat, and rah, 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 and this is how, you know, and the whole, the whole thing that revolves around cats for these women. Um, kind of crazy, kind of crazy. Uh, shout outs, Captain Capitalism over at, uh, at Cappy's site. Um, he's, um, He's apparently writing a book in six days. 
Uh, fuck me. I've been I've been going 18 months trying to get uh, my book out. Uh, but uh, he's writing a uh, he's writing a book in six days. So um, uh, yeah. Um, and he started a uh, his a new business, uh, C Harmony. So Cappy Harmony is angry dating service, uh, which I need to check out. So there you go. Um, Check out captaincapitalism.blogspot.com. Still too cheap to buy his own uh, website. Get rid of the blogspot. Um, he does a lot of great, great, great uh, um, work. Lots of books. I'll be interested to see what his book's about. He's been publishing a little... He's been writing a bit about feminists lately. So, look, I'll, I'll make a call. I'll make a call. Uh, and I think it's going to have to be something about femos. It might be a bit of a, a radical departure, I think, especially if he's writing it so fast. So um, let's see what Cappy comes out with. Check out his site. Check out his books. Um, there's many of them. Um, he's got uh, Bachelor Pad Economics. That's his big one. Reconnaissance Man. Curse of the High IQ. Poor Richard's Retirement. Um, I think Curse of the High IQ, enjoy the decline. Curse of the High IQ, I think I read, he was saying it hit 200 reviews on Amazon. Um, so that's really good. Speaking of reviews, thank you to everyone who's who's jumped on in and reviewed uh, my two books, Pushing Rubber Downhill and Run Guts Pull Cones. I uh, appreciate that. They could still do with more reviews. Like I'm selling books every day and uh, yeah, come on guys. Review them up. <laughs> Review them up. Um, and buy my books. Buy my books. Hey, buy them. Um, if you've already bought them, buy them as a gift. You give gifts, don't you? Do you know any young men in your life? Do you know any young directionless men who need to kick up the date? A good kick up the date. Well, you know, buy them my books. Here you go. Read that and get back to me. Yeah? You should all look. This should be buy one of Adam's books as a gift for a young man in my life who needs to get his shit together weak. If all of you went out and did that, I'd sell a mountain load of books. You know, go and do that. Order the print book off Amazon or Book Depository or wherever the hell you want to order it. You can order it at your local bookstore. Buy it for a young man in your life today who needs it. That's what you need to do. Okay. Um, and uh, you'll be doing a good deed. Um, and uh, you'll be making me money. And that's very important. Um, subscribe to this podcast if you feel like it. That'd be nice. I normally get 10 people subscribe a week and then nine unsubscribe. All these people subscribe. It's just this game they play. They want you to subscribe so you'll describe to their one. I don't do that. I'm sorry. I don't do it. Because I only want, I want the figures to reflect. I want the figures to reflect who's actually following it. Okay. That's what I want. I want the figures to reflect that. Sorry. I'm not, I'm not taking no handouts. I'm not taking no handouts. I've never taken no handouts. Um, follow my blog. We're over 300. Up to, see, we're getting close to 320. It's getting up there. You know, 300 was a big deal for me. And I tell you what, this month we're going to hit 1 million views on the blog. 1 million. That's a, that's a big deal for me. Um, so I'll, I'll do a post up that day. And the 1 millionth view gets a hot date. Uh, with um, the hot chick of the week. There you go. Hey, what more? What more can I give than that? What more can I give than that? Ah, uh, uh, you know what? I didn't feel like doing this podcast when I started, but I've had a good time. 
I've had a good time. I hope you've had a good time. You know, and that just goes to show you. You know, if you're not having a good time, the best way to go out and have a good time is do something you didn't want to do. It'll turn out you'll have a good time. Ah, there we go. There we go. I'm going to call this the environmentalism versus feminism episode. I think that's pretty well sums up what we've been talking about. Don't you go changing. Uh, you're the best listeners I've ever had. Really, truly, I mean that. You're the best listeners I've ever had. Uh, and uh, next week we should have uh, the next episode of uh, the Greasy Pole podcast with the great one. So look out for that one. Um, I'll see you then. Bye-bye.